everyone, my name is Maria Thomas and I work for Allianz Research, a global team of economists, strategists, sector advisors and foresight experts of the Allianz Group, led by Ludovic Suber. Over the past few months, we've seen central banks in advanced economies raise interest rates for the first time in years to cope with record-breaking inflation. So in this special season of tomorrow, we wanted to look at the end of zeronomics. What will the new era of higher interest rates mean for the global economy and capital markets, households and companies? Let's find out with the experts from Allianz Research. Given the rapid rise in debt ratios during the pandemic and the current energy crisis, it's clear that the EU fiscal framework is in need of reform. In this episode, we dive into what the European Commission has proposed to change about its fiscal rules and what that could mean for public debt with Andreas Straubst, Head of Macroeconomic and Capital Markets Research, and Madalena Martini, Economist for Italy and Greece. Hello, Andy and Madalena. Hello, Maria. Thanks very much, Maria, for having me. So can you first tell us what rapidly rising interest rates mean for government finances in Europe? Well, rising interest rates have not only tightened financing conditions for households and firms alike, also governments face a rising cost of funding their budget deficits. As a result, finance ministers now face a difficult challenge of extending their targeted fiscal support to mitigate the impact of the energy crisis at a time when growth is slipping and the refinancing costs are rising. In our recent research, we found that except for Germany, the largest Eurozone economies are already struggling to stabilize the elevated debt levels. More specifically, when we look at the government debt-to-GDP ratio in France, Italy, and Spain, we see that it is set to increase under a baseline scenario. Even if government debt ratios remain unchanged, a lasting interest rate shock of about 200 basis points, reflecting the current hiking cycle of the ECB, would mean that the interest expense would amount to between 2 and 3% of GDP in these countries by 2030. Now, to put these numbers into perspective, this additional budget burden due to high interest rates would be equal to the total public investment of each of these countries every year. Now, that's quite a frightening prospect if you imagine that those countries also need that amount of public investment each year over the next 8 to 10 years to meet the European emissions reduction targets until 2030 by way of investing in climate-smart infrastructure. And against this backdrop, you recently wrote a report about the EU's plans to reform its fiscal rules. With tightening financing conditions, why is the EU reforming its fiscal rules now and why do they have them in the first place? Why now? Um, so the European Commission suspended the fiscal rules in uh, early 2020 when uh, countries were faced with uh, large fiscal shocks due to the pandemic uh, crisis. And since then, we saw the public debt ratio uh, rose rapidly uh, across the member states. And this will mean um, that for some high debt countries, it will require a, like a very large uh, fiscal adjustment uh, that now will be uh, unrealistic and also counterproductive for the economies. 
So this is why, uh, before introducing the rules in 2024, as we expect, uh, we think this moment provides a unique opportunity to reform the EU framework that now is uh, 30 years old. So indeed, we have the current set of rules um, because the Commission, uh, the European Union, introduced the fiscal rules with the Maastricht Treaty in 1992 in order to coordinate the fiscal policy across the member state and also to ensure sound public finances and have sustainability uh, within the currency union. Also, uh, the framework in these, like in the, during this life, uh, in the last uh, 30 years, they undergone several changes that make it uh, uh, more complex. So this is the, this is the moment. There's a widespread recognition that the EU fiscal rules need to be reformed. Surging public debt since before the global financial crisis uh, suggests that the current fiscal rules are simply no longer fit for purpose. Uh, we see that many high debt countries have clearly failed to reduce their debt ratios in the years preceding the pandemic in the current energy crisis, despite relatively robust growth. I would raise four key points uh, in regards to why the current fiscal rules uh, need to be reformed. One is pro-cyclicality. Uh, fiscal policy in many member states of the European Union has proven too pro-cyclical over the years, with no disciplining impact during good times while forcing fiscal consolidation during bad times when fiscal spending would be needed. The second point is probably the growth impact. Uh, the current rules fail to differentiate between growth enhancing and other public spending. As a result, in many occasions, we've seen public investment uh, as a victim of fiscal adjustments in the aftermath of recessions. In particular, in the wake of the Eurozone debt crisis, we've seen a scaling back of public investment when it was needed most. And obviously that had negative consequences uh, for growth. The third element is transparency. The current framework has an intricate set of constraints, uh, which are, exist for a good reason, but they also increased the complexity uh, and at the same time complicated the effective monitoring and public communication. So this lack of transparency that comes with the complexity has led to growing skepticism over the fiscal rules and has clearly hurt their credibility. And then fourthly and lastly, it's compliance and enforcement. This complexity of the fiscal rules has led to spotty compliance and resulted in unintended violations and outright exploitation of loopholes, as well as increasingly discretionary enforcement. And now what has the EU proposed to change? So uh, on November uh, 9, as a part of its uh, economic government's review, the Commission came out with uh, uh, its orientation for a reform and EU fiscal framework. Uh, let's say adding to the ongoing discussion of institution and economists over the past uh, years. Uh, the main points that of the proposal that we want to highlight uh, today and that also um, that uh, try to address the weaknesses of the current framework that Andy was just uh, pointing out 
are mainly the following ones. So uh, the focus on the national term, uh, national medium term fiscal plan, uh, covering a period of four years, based on the European Commission debt sustainability analysis. And but then member states, compared to now, would have more room in setting up uh, their fiscal adjustment path, so they can uh, maybe negotiate for longer adjustment path until seven years. And also, to simplify the framework, uh, a single operational indicator will be used that will be the net uh, primary expenditure, uh, which will serve as a ba basis for setting up the adjustment path and to carry out uh, all the surveillance uh, uh, program uh, by, uh, by the country and the institution. And finally, to increase the undermined credibility of the framework, uh, the enforcement me mechanism will be uh, reinforced. That means uh, the fines, the financial fines will be lower, uh, but more credible. Um, and also there will be uh, some uh, reputational sanction. Uh, moreover, the Commission um, stated that, like, for example, the EU financing could be suspended in case of uh, non-compliance uh, with the adjustment uh, path. In your report, you simulate the impact of current and likely future fiscal rules. Can you tell us about what you find? Our simulation results suggest that shifting to a simplified expenditure rule Uh, which Madalena just described, can be a game-changer for Europe. Such a rule can significantly reduce the procyclicality of uh, the current fiscal framework while still guiding governments towards a credible debt consolidation. Combining it with a debt break mechanism can also provide more flexibility to country-specific circumstances and allow countries to take longer to adjust excessive debt levels. What does it mean concretely? If implemented, we estimate that Eurozone countries would be able to reduce their debt-to-GDP ratios by at least 10 percentage points over the next 10 years. So far, so good, but there are even more benefits. The implicit counter-cyclicality can also significantly lift real growth by up to 0.2 percentage points on average for the larger member countries, and up to 0.6 percentage points for the smaller ones, such as Greece and Portugal, which have high debt levels. In addition, if switching to a country-specific expenditure rule is combined with a debt break, we can also reduce the fiscal framework's complexity. Together with strict enforcement, this anticipated makeover could give the EU fiscal rules truly a second lease on life. So which countries are you most concerned about and why? Will the reformed fiscal rules make a difference? If we talk about debt dynamics, I think that uh, Italy remains the most uh, vulnerable country among the larger Eurozone economies. Um, and its public finances have long been uh, the elephant in the room. Uh, if we think, for example, at the sovereign debt crisis and also at the COVID uh, crisis. Um, indeed, during the pandemic, the debt-to-GDP ratio increased uh, further by 20 percentage points and uh, reached almost uh, 155% of GDP. 
the key issues here remain the low nominal growth that was uh, on average 2% on the like uh, per year over the 20 year before the pandemic. Okay. And also now the fiscal outlook is challenged by it, as we anticipated in this podcast by the higher interest rate in the medium term. Um, on the second point, um, if we, if the reform rules will make a difference, according to our stimulation, we found that uh, um, a simplified rule like the one proposed now uh, would help countries to retain some fiscal space without constraining too much debt consolidation efforts. And we found also that most countries can also reduce significantly their uh, to GDP ratio uh, around the 10 percentage point, uh, but with the assumption here that the uh, real effective interest rates uh, remain at the current level. Uh, in fact, if we talk about higher, inter uh, higher uh, effective rates, uh, will significantly reduce uh, uh, the pace of uh, consolidation. And finally, shifting towards a simplifying expenditure rule, uh, as proposed, will make uh, fiscal rules less complex and at the same time less procyclical, uh, while guiding uh, fiscal policy towards a credible debt path. Uh, so we believe that the single operational rule should improve the transparency and the um, compliance of the framework. My last question is, what is your recommendation for the EU fiscal rules going forward? We welcome current reform efforts, but we also think that the recent EU proposal for reforming the fiscal rules could have gone further. For instance, by raising the 60% debt-to-GDP limit to the current average debt level of EU member countries, which stands at about 100% of GDP. That said, if properly designed, an expenditure growth rule can go a long way, especially if it allows more flexibility in reducing debt accumulated due to growth-enhancing public spending, such as climate-smart infrastructure. But reform efforts shouldn't end there. We know that the structural pressures will constrain fiscal space of countries in the coming years. So the EU really needs a permanent centralized fiscal capacity for stabilization investment. So a greater budget for the EU to provide funding for critical stabilization and investment efforts. Setting up such a centralized fiscal capacity will not be easy, but it could provide incentives for fiscal rules compliance if access to such funding is made contingent on compliance. And overall, this would certainly help enhance Eurozone resilience. Thank you very much. That's a wrap for Season 4 of our podcast. Thank you so much for listening and subscribing. We'll be back next year with brand new episodes, so stay tuned.